All right, well, this morning I want to tell you about uh, a time that I almost lost my life when I was a kid. I almost lost my life. Uh, We had a go-kart, and um, my brother, who's five years older than me, occasionally he would take the governor out of the engine, which would make the go-kart go faster. But the problem is, it would also make the engine idle really high, and if you didn't have somebody sitting in it pushing the brake, then when you started it, it would just take off. And so one time, the the go-kart was in the garage, and I went and started it, and I didn't know that my brother had taken the governor out, and the go-kart took off out of the garage, down the driveway, across the street, jumped a ditch, went across the neighbor's yard, and slammed into the neighbor's house. And that's the time I almost lost my life. Not because of the go-kart, but because my brother almost killed me. I mean, there was also the time when I accidentally hit him in the head with a baseball bat. That was another time I almost died. And uh, let's see, there was the time when I, I put on this dark raincoat and put the hood on. And after he went to sleep, I went running into his room and jumped on his bed screaming and scared him half to death. That was another time that I almost died as a kid. But, you know, if you notice the, the common thread to these stories besides me uh, being an idiot, um, the, the other common thread to these stories is that all three times it was my brother who almost killed me. And uh, as I think about our childhood, I think about our relationship as brothers growing up, we, like most brothers and siblings, we fought a lot. We had a hard time getting along uh, quite a bit. Uh, but, then, but then I also remember times like when I almost got in a fight with these two guys when I was in seventh grade, and they were two years older than me, they would have creamed me. I was just stupid. But it kind of fizzled out and nothing happened. And then a week later, these two guys came up to me and I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. And they said, um, they said, hey, we're sorry about last week. And I'm going, what? And they said, yeah, we didn't know Devin Parrish was your brother. So, so I knew, I always knew growing up, even though we had a hard time getting along, uh, a lot of times I knew that if anybody else messed with me, my brother was going to have my back. And that's really how it should be, right? I mean, we should be able to know that our siblings and our family members have our backs. We know that's not always the case, but that's how it should be. And so today, we're going we're gonna to continue our series talking about, um, talking about dysfunctional families. And we're going to look at two brothers that unfortunately did not have each other's backs. In fact, they got to a point where they absolutely hated each other. And so... Uh, this this fourth really dysfunctional family that we're looking at, um, remember that every family has some level of dysfunction, right? Admittedly, some have more dysfunction than others, but every family has some level of dysfunction. But we want you to know that God can bring hope and healing to even the messiest family. That's what we hope that you take away from this series with. So let's, let's turn, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to, actually turn to Genesis 27. We find the story of these two brothers named Jacob and Esau, and it covers a lot of ground in the Bible, so I'm going to summarize a lot of it for you. But they were Abraham's grandsons, and from their very birth, these two brothers, there was tension between these two brothers. I mean, really, literally from their very birth. But then we come to chapter 25 of Genesis, and, and that tension was just magnified when Jacob convinced Esau to trade away his birthright for a bowl of stew. You say, well, was it, why is that significant? Well, the birthright, Esau's birthright as the older brother, meant 
Well, the biggest thing that it meant is that he would get twice as much of the inheritance as his brother would. There were two of them, so whenever the time, the time came and their dad died, Esau, as the oldest brother, having the birthright, he would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance. His younger brother would have gotten one-third. And Jacob convinced Esau. He, Esau had come in from the field. He was starving, hungry, and, and Jacob convinced him, hey, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau, who had not learned the skill of delayed gratification, which we'll talk about in a minute, jumped on that deal, and he sold, he traded away his birthright and all of that inheritance for one measly bowl of stew because Jacob deceived him and conned him into doing it. Well, then their relationship kind of reaches a breaking point in chapter 27. Um, Their mom, who favors Jacob, she convinces Jacob, to, to, she, she comes up with this incredible plan, like this really detailed plan, where Jacob would deceive their father, who favored Esau, into giving Jacob this sort of this binding blessing, this blessing that in that culture was, it was this really, really, really special thing. And it was given to the oldest son. And so the mom devised this plan where Jacob deceived his dad into giving that blessing to him. And then when Esau found out about it, you can imagine, not only had Jacob sort of conned him out of his birthright, now he deceived his way into receiving this really special blessing that was supposed to go to him. And so Jacob is just, he is just crazy mad. And in verse 41 of chapter 27, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau has reached this point where he absolutely hates his brother. Now, I guess his heart is big enough that he's going to wait till his dad dies so he doesn't break his dad's heart. But he has this plan. You talk about premeditated. He has this plan. As soon as, as soon as his dad is dead, I'm guessing the body's not even going to be cold. And he's going to Jacob and he's going to kill him. Jacob finds out about this. And Jacob runs for his life. Runs away to another land. Stays with family. And that's where we find this incredibly messy, dysfunctional family. We have a mom and dad who play favorites with their kids. We have an older son who has never learned the skill of delayed gratification. We have this younger son who has a tendency to lie and deceive and cheat and con his way into getting what he wants. And it all ends with a mom and dad with broken hearts and two brothers who absolutely hate each other with one running for his life, literally running for his life. So that's a mess, isn't it? That's a lot of dysfunction. So what can we learn from this family? What I want to do is I want, to, I want us to look at three very important skills for us to develop as individuals and as families if we want to have healthy families. Three skills that we can learn from this story. The first one is what I mentioned earlier, the skill of delayed gratification. That's kind of a fancy word or a fancy phrase that just means the ability to wait before we get what we want. If you don't have this skill, then you see something you want and you just get it. You just do what you have to do to get it. You're not willing to wait for it. And this can wreak havoc on families. Remember, Esau traded his birthright for this measly bowl of stew. 
He traded a double share of his father's very large estate. See, if if my sons did this, uh, it wouldn't be a big deal because they're not going to get much inheritance from me. But their dad was really wealthy, so this was a big deal. And Jacob, or Esau, traded all of that away just because he was hungry and didn't want to wait for food. That is a textbook example of the kind of dumb decisions that we can make when we don't have the skill of delayed gratification. It leads to really dumb decisions. And by the way, how do you teach kids the skill of delayed gratification? Two letters. In O. <laughs> That's how. You tell them you tell them no. Kids who are never told no, they never learn this very important skill. And kids who never learn this skill tend to grow up to be, let's be honest, selfish, impatient adults who just like Esau make really dumb decisions because they don't want to wait for a better time to get what they want. In fact, you've heard, uh, you've heard me say before that one of the greatest evidences of our maturity Emotional maturity and spiritual maturity, one of the greatest evidences of our maturity level is how we respond when we're told no. How do you respond when you're told no? How do you respond when when your boss tells you no to a raise or no to some move you want to make at your job? How do you respond when you want... You see something or you want something and you talk to your spouse about it and they look at the finances and say, I think we better wait. How do you respond? Or what about when you want something else from your spouse and they say no at the moment? How do you respond? Kids and teens who always want to be treated older than you are. How do you respond when your parents tell you no? Or maybe a question for all of us. How do you respond How do you respond when God tells you no? How do you respond when God closes a door that you wanted to walk through? That happened to me in a big way two or three years ago. I I found out that um, what I consider to be my home church, it's a church in Georgetown, Texas, where I got saved and baptized and called to preach and preach my first sermon. I'd found out through a a guy that I know who still attends that church uh, that they were looking for a pastor. And I got really excited about it. And, and a lot of things about it just seemed to make sense. And I, I, thought, I thought it was going to happen. I thought I was, I was moving back to Central Texas. Not just to Central Texas, but to the, this church that means so much to me and who I am today. And God not only, he didn't just gently close that door. God slammed that door shut. I mean, there was no doubt that we were not going to Georgetown. It was a big in. Oh, and I didn't handle that no very well. I was mad at God, went into this mild depression for like two months. I wanted to walk through that door and God said no. And I was devastated. But I want to clarify one thing. I'm not still devastated today. I love my job here at Pitnass. And I realize now in hindsight that back then when God told me no, he wasn't just telling me no. 
he was telling me, wait, I have something else for you. And about six months later, I learned about this position at Pitnass. So sometimes when God tells us no, sometimes when when our family members or people in our lives, sometimes when they tell us no, it's not just no. Sometimes it means wait. And if we haven't developed this skill of delayed gratification, we're not going to take that no or that wait very well. In fact, you know what waiting is? Waiting is about trusting. Delayed gratification is about waiting. And waiting is always about trusting. You know when the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord? Lots of times it says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on God. That's another way of saying, trust God. Because when, you're tr- when you trust somebody, you're willing to wait on them. You've heard me use this illustration before. If my car breaks down on the side of the road and I call my wife, Sarah, and I say, hey, can you come get me? And she says, yeah, wait right there. If I trust her, if I trust that she's going to do what she said she was going to do, then what am I going to do? I'm going to wait. If I don't trust her, I'm either going to start walking or I'm going to call somebody else or I'm going to do something. So waiting always involves trusting. So what does it look like then? When you have the skill of delayed gratification, how, how, what are some ways that that kind of manifests itself in our lives, even as adults? When you have the skill of delayed gratification, you do things like um, you wait to buy something until you can afford it, right? Instead of dragging your family into debt up to your eyeballs, you wait, you save, you do what you need to do until you can afford it. When you have the skill of delayed gratification, you save sex for marriage because that's what God intended. And when you have the skill of delayed gratification, you don't don't turn your back on God. You don't walk away from God because he has told you no to something or closed the door door that you wanted to walk through. You don't walk away from him. You don't have a temper tantrum. You trust him enough to say, okay, God's telling me no here. I'm going to assume that that means wait because he has something else. Develop in yourself the skill of delayed gratification and teach it to your kids and teach it to your grandkids. We'll talk in a minute about how to develop that skill. But first, let's talk about the second skill for a healthy family. It's the skill of honest gain. Remember, Jacob, who who was spurred on by his own mother went to these incredible lengths to deceive his dad. In fact, the skill of honest gain is it's pretty closely related to the skill of delayed gratification, isn't it? When we don't want to wait for something, when we don't want to wait for what we want, then we tend to, we tend to do things that we probably shouldn't do in order to get it, which is exactly what Jacob did. It's what Esau did with the bowl of stew. Those who do not develop delayed gratification often resort to dishonest gain in order to get what they want. Now, I told you some story, or at least a story, about my brother earlier. I'll tell you another one. One time we had gone to visit my grandparents, and um, we had taken one bike with us. I think it was my bike. And we, my brother and I, Dev and I wanted to race, but we only had one bike. So we said, okay, uh, let's race around the house and let's time each other. I had, one of us had one of those big black 
$2 digital watches that were real popular in the 80s, if you remember those. And so we said, all right, and this was fancy because it had a stopwatch. And so we said, we're going we're gonna to time each other and see who can go around the house the fastest on the bike. Well, Devin is five years older than me. So he was always bigger, always stronger, always faster. I could never beat him in anything. And every time, he was just creaming me around the house. So I came up with a plan because I wanted to win. I started the stopwatch, and I let it run for a few seconds, and then I said, go. So when he got back around and finished... And I can still to this day see the look on his face. He looked at that watch at the time, and you could tell he was just like, I, how could this possibly be? This, can, this cannot, what is wrong here? And I was so happy that I, quote, beat him, and I was so excited that I pulled one over on him that in my exuberance, I told him what I'd done. <laughs> and you know what my brother did? He didn't yell at me. He didn't push me down or punch me or anything like that. My, my wise older brother, he just gently set the bike down on the ground. And he said, very quietly, I don't play with cheaters. And he walked in the house. And the whole time I'm, I'm yelling, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Come back, I promise. And he just kept walking. He taught me a very valuable lesson that day. Without even having to punch me in the mouth. He taught me, if you have to, if you have to be dishonest to gain what you want, it's not worth it. It will always catch up with you, sometime or another. It may, maybe you won't be an idiot like I was and spill the beans right away. But somewhere, some, down the line, somewhere, it always catches up. That's why Proverbs 16.8 says this, Better to have a little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. What a great verse. Now, you might be thinking about this and Think, well, I would never steal from somebody. It's not like I would ever go rob a bank. I wouldn't steal from my job or anything like that. And, and I'm guessing most, if not all of us, probably would never do something like that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever just sort of subtly manipulated somebody in order to get what you want? Have you ever told a little white lie? Have you ever just kind of massaged the facts a little bit in order to get what you want? Have you ever conveniently or strategically left out a few facts in order to get what you want? Have you ever thrown a, a, a little temper tantrum because you didn't get what you wanted? See, kids aren't the only ones that can throw tantrums, right? We as adults, we, th we throw temper tantrums too. We're just more sophisticated about it. you ever done any of those more subtle things to get what you want? I'm guessing if I asked for a show of hands and if we were all completely honest, probably most if not all of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, I've, I've, done, I've never robbed a bank or I've never stolen outright from somebody, but I've done, I've done these, some of these other things before to get what I want. That's dishonest gain. Dishonest gain. So if I was going to paraphrase this proverb in the context of this series on family, here's, here's what I would say. It's better to not get what you want 
and have healthy relationships than to get what you want and be a jerk to your family. Maybe you wouldn't rob a bank or steal from somebody. But do you ever kind of act like a jerk to your loved ones so you can get what you want? That's dishonest gain. So how do, we, how do we avoid that? How do we develop the skills of delayed gratification and honest gain? Let me give you three quick things. One, be willing to wait. Don't feel like you have to have what you want right here, right now. Be willing to wait. Secondly, talk it out. Talk it out with your spouse. Talk it out with your family members. Instead of deceiving or instead of trying to manipulate or, or you know, massage the facts, talk it out openly and honestly. And then the third thing, and maybe the biggest thing, is learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful for what you have. Learn to be thankful for what God has already given you instead of being obsessed with what you want. Be thankful and grateful for what you already have. Well, delayed gratification, honest gain. Here's the third skill for a healthy family. It's the skill of forgiveness. And yeah, it's a skill. It's a learned skill. Because it doesn't come easy, does it? It doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. Remember it said Esau held a grudge against Jacob. He held a grudge against him. That phrase in the, in the Hebrew, the original language that this was written in, it literally means to cherish animosity. Right? Animosity is where you wish ill will on somebody. You want harm to come to somebody. And to cherish, it means to hold something close to your heart. It means to, to take care of something, to nourish something, to give your full attention to something. My boys, my three boys at different times, like, like most kids, at different times, they've had their favorite stuffed animals that they've, you know, that they've liked over the years. And we've had stuffed alligators and stuffed bulls and, and stuffed puppy dogs and stuffed tigers and all kinds of things that at one time or another were the favorite stuffed animal of the moment. What did my boys do at night? Whenever they had a favorite stuffed animal, what would they do at, at bedtime? They'd make sure that that animal was right there with them. They'd hold it close to their heart, and they'd fall asleep. They were cherishing that stuffed animal. And that's what the scripture says Esau was doing to this grudge. He was cherishing this grudge. He was cherishing this animosity that he had towards his brother. And he was probably, probably he, he thought about it every night when he would go to sleep. That's, it was probably on his mind as he drifted off to sleep. And it was probably on his mind when he woke up in the mornings. And he probably replayed over and over in his mind what his brother had done to him. And he probably replayed over and over in his mind what he wanted to do to his brother. And he probably replayed over and over in his mind that moment when he would finally kill his brother. And I'm guessing he also listened to people who only fed that. People who would say, man, I wouldn't take that. Boy, if he was my brother, here's what I'd do. He was probably listening to those kind of voices from friends. And the whole time that animosity and that grudge was just growing and growing and growing. Yes, Jacob was a jerk to his brother. But the relationship didn't really break until Esau decided, I'm going to cherish. I'm going to hold close to my heart this grudge against my brother. When Esau refused to forgive 
Jacob, when he made that decision, that's what ultimately broke the relationship. Very few things can decimate a family dynamic faster than unforgiveness. So we need to make sure we are developing that skill when people hurt us. How do you do that? Real quickly, three ways that we can develop that skill. One is discipline your thoughts. When you start thinking about what that person did to you, and when you start replaying in your mind what you would like to do to get them back, you got to not go down those roads mentally. And when you find yourself doing that, that's a good time to pick up your Bible and read Scripture. That's a good time to, to spend some time in prayer. That's a good time to call up a friend. That's a time to do something to distract yourself to where you're not mentally going down those roads. So discipline your thoughts. Secondly, pray for the other person. Don't pray that a piano will fall on their head. Don't pray that they'll, they'll get what's coming to them or that they'll see what an idiot they are. No, I'm talking pray God's blessings on them. And honestly, even if you have to fake that initially... Because initially, your heart may not be in that prayer, but if you will start praying a prayer of blessing on them, if they don't know Jesus, then pray that they will come to know Jesus. But pray for them, and God will start to change your heart. Because it's hard, it's really hard to stay mad at somebody if you're praying for them. Then the third thing is let go of your right to stay angry. You know what? The bottom line is they hurt you, and you have a right to be angry. And you probably have a right to get even. Forgiveness is about letting go of that right. I want to illustrate that for you today. With a couple balloons. This balloon represents a grudge that that you might have in your heart. Somebody has hurt you. They've made you mad. They've done something. They've injured you in some way. And um, this grudge begins to grow. Right? As you feed it with your thoughts, it just continues to grow. You keep thinking about what they did. You keep thinking about what you'd like to do to them. You keep listening to the wrong voices from the wrong people. And it just grows, right? And then what eventually happens? Okay, I'm going to pop it, just so you know. I don't want anybody to have a heart attack, all right? I'm going to pop the balloon. All right? So it grows and it grows and it grows. And finally something blows up. Sorry, I didn't pause so you could mute my microphone. Sorry about that. It grows and it grows and it grows until something blows up. Forgiveness, however. Somebody hurts you. You start to sense, you kind of starting to carry this grudge. You find yourself thinking about it. It's starting to grow. That animosity is starting to grow a little bit. Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to remove, you got to cut that supply off by disciplining your thoughts. Stop feeding the grudge. Stop feeding the animosity by stewing on it and thinking about it over and over and over. Remove it from the process. And then once you do that, you let it go. Yes, you have the right to stay angry, but when you forgive, you are letting go of that right. You're saying, I choose to forgive. I choose to not stay angry. So let me ask you this morning, does that sound impossible to you? Does it seem impossible to you that you could ever come to a point of forgiving someone who has hurt you? 
Or does it seem impossible to you that someone else could ever forgive you? If, that, if it does, if that seems impossible, then start telling yourself a different story. Because the story that Satan wants you to believe is that it can never happen. Forgiveness can never happen. The injury was too great. The hurt is too big. It is impossible for that to happen. That's the story Satan wants you to believe. Start telling yourself God's story. Because God's story says anything is possible with God. God's story says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse doesn't say I can do all things except forgive this jerk. No, it doesn't say that. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tell yourself a different story. God can give you the strength and the courage and the power through his Holy Spirit to let go of that grudge, to let go of that anger, to let go of that animosity and forgive. In fact, remember where we left Jacob and Esau? This impossible situation, right? Premeditated murder was on the mind of Esau. He was going to kill his brother. He held a grudge against Jacob. And he said, I will kill my brother. I'm going to kill him. That's where we left him. But remember throughout this series, we've been looking at these families that are just complete dysfunctional messes, but we've also been looking at the evidence that God would bring hope and healing to the situation, that God's grace was still at work in the situation. Well, here's where we see that in these, with these two brothers. Later on, a bunch of stuff happens, a bunch of time passes, and in chapter 33, it says Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. These two brothers in this impossible situation, these brothers who hated each other, there was no hope for any reconciliation here. But guess what? Through God's grace and God's healing, they were reconciled. And if God can do that for them, he can do that for you. And he can do that in your family. But as we have said, as we've said throughout this series, We have a part to play in that. Are you willing to play your part? We know God can bring hope and healing to even the messiest family. Are you going to do your part? And your biggest part might be to make the decision to forgive. So I'm going to ask you this morning as we sing again, as we sing one more song. I know this is kind of silly, all right? But sometimes it's the silly things that we remember the most. There's these two, um, I don't know, jars or vases or whatever at the end of the altars. And inside each of those are are some balloons. And I want to ask you as we sing, in fact, would you just stand with us right now? As we sing, I want to invite you to just come up and just grab a balloon. I know it's silly. It's a silly little reminder of a really important truth. It's you, if you take that, I don't care what you do with it at home, blow it up, carry it in your pocket, put it beside your your bed where you see it every night, I don't know, do with it what you want, but it's supposed to just be a silly little reminder of a really powerful, important truth, and that truth is, I'm going to forgive those in my life who have hurt me. So if you feel inclined to just come grab a balloon as we sing and take it back to your seat with you. If you want to pray at the altar, you're welcome to pray. Let's practice forgiveness because God has forgiven us. That's what this song is about. The Bible says, forgive others as God has forgiven you. 
let that be your motivation for forgiving your loved ones. The fact that God has gone to such great lengths to forgive you. That line from that song, it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. When our forgiveness was made complete, when God had done everything that he could do for us to be forgiven, he said, it is finished. Make that decision today. Say to yourself today, it's finished. This grudge I've been carrying is finished. I'm laying it down and I'm letting it go. My biggest reason for